Well, I guess following that, um, that prayer time and just hearing about Lisa and her journey, um, we think of things like what really counts in life? What really matters? What do you want your life to be counted for? What do you want to be remembered for when uh, your time is up? And uh, sometimes, as morbid as it sounds, on tombstones, on headstones, we see some indication of a reflection of the life of a person and what has been important to them, what has really counted. Let's have a look at a few now. I found these on the internet. I don't know whether this is genuine or not. He loved his bacon. Oh, and his wife and kids too. I suspect some of these have been digitally enhanced. Next one. Please deactivate my Facebook. Obviously someone who's known for social media. Now, down the bottom it says she was an optimist, and you can see what they've done with the numbers. 1917 to 2000 and something, she didn't quite make it. It was 1999. But someone who was an optimist. Next, please. I'd rather be at the mall. Someone known for shopping, finding a bargain. Died the 10th of October, 1887. Second fastest drawer in New Austin. A good gunfighter, but not that good. Raised four beautiful daughters with only one bathroom and still there was love. I think that's a miracle, that one, isn't it? I told you I was sick. This is a genuine one. Master of comedy, his genius in the art of humour brought gladness to the world he loved. Someone who was known for that, Stan Laurel. Lived each day as if it were her last, especially this one. (laughs) Now, I don't know about this one. There's a translation there. He was a good husband, a wonderful father, but a bad electrician. (laughs) I suspect it's fake. If you look at the name, Pancrazio Juvenalis, crazy juvenile. (laughs) Nonetheless, entertaining. Mel Blank. He was the voice of Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny and Porky Pig and Elmer Fudd and all those characters. That's all, folks. Man of a thousand voices. But I love that it also talks about the fact that he was a husband and a father. And this last one here. Are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? And uh, that's very telling too, isn't it? So what would you like on your headstone? What would that big thing be? That thing that you want your life to have counted for, that you want to be remembered for. As we continue through our series with Jesus Every Day and looking at prayers, we're looking at a character today who is known for his wisdom and his name was Solomon. Let's go straight to the Bible and read about Solomon. Reading from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 13. Sorry, starting at verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father David, except that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the local places of worship. The most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon, 
So the king, that's Solomon of course, went there and sacrificed 1,000 burnt offerings. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here am I in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, Because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you ask for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart, such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. So Solomon's prayer was very simple. He asked for wisdom. What an amazing offer from God. What is it that you want? Anything at all and you can have. And Solomon asked for wisdom. There's a number of significant things in that verse. And one of those is that Solomon's comment about his father David. Solomon said in this prayer, My father David was honest and true and faithful to God. Last week, Pam spoke about David. David, of course, was someone who was a wonderful king, had a heart for God, but committed a terrible sin by lusting after another man's wife. And Pam explained a bit about that story. David saw Bathsheba. And while her husband was out fighting the war, David slept with her. She became pregnant. Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, was given special leave to come back home from the battle and have a bit of rest and relaxation. David hoping that he would sleep with his wife so the child could be considered to be Uriah's wife. But Uriah had integrity and he said, well, I can't be with my wife while the men are out fighting. And so he didn't. So David sent him back to battle, to the front line where he'd be killed. This scheming, murder, adultery, lust. Yet Solomon refers to David as someone who was honest and true and faithful to God. And Pam's message last week about Psalm 51 shows that God's forgiveness is real. What we've done in the past doesn't have to hold us back. Solomon could refer to his father in those words. Didn't remember him for his sin. He can say with confidence, you showed great and faithful love to your servant David. I want to just take a moment and really emphasise that. 
that the past doesn't have to block the future. That God doesn't hold a grudge. And Solomon had every confidence that he could go to God fully expecting the very, very best of God. That there was nothing in his past, in his father's past, that would prevent that. I saw this beautifully demonstrated a few weeks ago. My uh, daughter Eliza had a slight complication with pregnancy. She's fine, baby's fine, but she had a few days in hospital. So uh, Jane and I went out to Dubbo where she was in hospital and uh, just helped to support her and her husband Dan but also to look after their son Micah. A two-year-old in a hospital ward for a couple of days does present its challenges. But I want to show you this photo. So one evening... They, uh, they brought Eliza's meal around. She was sitting up in bed. And little Micah, two-year-old, sat next to Eliza, snuggled in, got ready, fully expecting that he was going to get something as well. <laughs> now, the good news is he loves carrots. And you can see Eliza's plate was loaded with carrots. But there was no thought in his young mind that this isn't for me, that this is, this is mum's. I'm not part of this. And just the way he sat next to her, the way he pulled the tray in and the way he wanted to eat something, there was this expectation that what she had is for him as well. And why wouldn't it be? And I love that example there. Thanks, Cameron. And we can have that same uh, attitude towards God, that what God has, the goodness of God, is for us. Hebrews 4, verse 16 says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. So we can fully expect to sit beside God, to snuggle in next, and know that the goodness that he has, his mercy, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his peace and guidance and strength, all those good things about God are fully ours as well. And there's nothing in your past that means you can't sit next to him and expect that. And that's what Solomon knew. That passage that we read from uh, 1 Kings also says that Solomon loved the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord. Now Solomon was the second child of David and Bathsheba. The first child, the child that was conceived out of that sin, died. Even though God offered forgiveness, there was a consequence to David's sin. And we read in 2 Samuel 12, 24, this is after that child died, then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And David named him Solomon. The Lord loved the child. Again, no grudges, no blocking the goodness of God because of what had happened. The Bible says the Lord loved the child. And the verse from 1 Kings said Solomon loved God. So here we have a mutually loving relationship. God loved Solomon. Solomon loved God. And I believe that's the basis of the interaction between God and Solomon. God saying, Solomon, what is it that you need? I've put you before these people. You have this mighty task of leading the nation. We care for one another. We have a loving relationship. What is it that you need to fulfill your task? And I think God asks us the same question as well. If we truly love him and know his love for us, 
if we understand what it is that he's asking us to do, he says, what do you need? What do you need to fulfill your task? You know what Solomon could have asked for? He could have asked for necessary things. Food, water, successful farmland, clothing, a strong army, loyal subjects, favourable weather when he planned large celebrations or when he wanted to send his army out to battle. They're all necessary kind of things. And I'm sure we'd understand if he did ask for those things. But you know, Jesus in Matthew 6 says, Consider the flowers of the field. Solomon, dressed in his royal robes, didn't have the wealth of those flowers. Matthew 6.31, Jesus goes on and he says, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So Solomon didn't ask for the necessary things. Perhaps if he had, his headstone would have read something like this. Solomon, he always had a full stomach. He was never thirsty. He was always well dressed and it never rained on his parade. He could have asked for the fun things, riches or fame. And you could reason that going for riches in fame in order to further the work of God would be valid. If Solomon had more money, he could employ the very best people. Or he could have them who are wise, those who are wise, come and work for him and instruct the, uh, the kingdom. Um, he could get people who could run things well or to tell about God. Or he might have thought, well, God, I'm king and it's a pretty big responsibility. I deserve a little bit of a kickback, something in return perhaps. But you know, Solomon didn't have a desire to gain wealth. He actually had a sacrificial attitude. In the passage we read from 1 Kings, it said that he offered a thousand burnt offerings. Now, whether you're king or not, a thousand sheep or cattle or chickens or whatever makes a pretty big dent in your farmyard if you destroy them and burn them for an offering. And he was prepared to make those sacrifices to God. And the passage in 1 Kings goes on to say, after this interaction with God, that Solomon went out and made another sacrifice. So he knew that life was about being sacrificial and not seeking all these things from God. If he had, perhaps his headstone would read, Solomon, everyone knew who he, who he was and he had a lot of money. Sounds like a president, I know. He could have asked for urgent things. Say, right, oh God, thanks for the offer. There's some things we really need to do. The Bible tells us that there wasn't one place of worship. There were lots of local places. There was nowhere where people could draw together that was seen as the central place of worship. And Solomon wanted to build that temple, and he eventually did. But he didn't ask for that. He didn't say, God, oh, I thought you'd never ask. We need so much timber, and we need some stone, and I need a whole bunch of workers, and we need some good weather so it can all come together. He didn't do that. And I think sometimes we get caught up in what we see as the urgent work of God and forget what might be the main objective. 
or what is even more important than that. And it's easy to think, well, there's this church program or there's this uh, opportunity or street safe and all these things that are good things to do. And they might be important things, but there's something more important than that. More important than that. In Proverbs, which is predominantly written by Solomon, we read in uh, chapter 19, verse 21, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Solomon didn't ask for the urgent. If he had, his headstone might have read, Solomon, he built a really impressive temple. Perhaps he could have asked for the hard things to be made easy. Favour or victory over his enemies. The Israelites had a history of battles and wars and fights. Right from when God said, here is a promised land, enter it, but you'll need to take it from the tribes that are living there already. There were constant fights and battles, one after the other. Even Solomon's father, David, knew what conflict was about. And it wasn't always against opposite, opposing tribes. Sometimes it was from within. And David had a lot of challenges from King Saul, who was king before David. So there are battles we face. They're very real. And it's okay to seek victory over them and to try and grow through them. But Solomon realised once again there was something even greater to request from God. If he'd asked for victory over his enemies, his headstone might have read, Solomon, don't mess with this one. He'll win every time. But Solomon knew there was something greater. What he did ask for was wisdom, of course. He said, I am like a child who doesn't know his way around. Have you ever felt that? He says, who is able by himself to look after this nation? Have you ever felt that way? Who is able to do what God is calling you to do on your own? He knew he had a mission from God to govern the people, to show them right and wrong. Our challenge is to put all other things aside, the necessary, the fun, the urgent, the hard, and come to God to determine what is our main mission, what is over all other aspects of my life. Above all, God, what is it that you're calling me to do? What do I need help in fulfilling At times we're going to be praying for food. We're going to pray for fine weather, for safety, for health. But what's the main thing that we seek from God? What's the petrol in your tank? And how often do you pray for that? Soon Solomon became known for his wisdom. At the end of chapter 3, after this prayer and after God granted him that wisdom, after sacrificing to God again, two ladies came to Solomon. And perhaps you know the story. They were prostitutes. They lived in the same house. They both had children within a few days of each other. They slept with their babies in their beds. One night, the first lady woke through the night to realise that she laid on her baby and smothered it and it had died through the night. 
she got up, she snuck into the other lady's bedroom and she swapped her dead baby with the second lady's living child. In the morning, the second lady woke up, found the child dead in her bed, but realised that it wasn't her child. The two ladies went to the king, went to Solomon, explained the story and asked for his wisdom and judgement. Who would own the living baby? Both claimed it was theirs. Solomon's reply was to go and get a sword. And he decided he was going to cut the living child in half. Give half to one lady, half to the other lady. The lady who was the real mother said, no, let the child live. The other lady can have the child. The lady who was the mother of the dead child said, well, that seems fair. We'll go 50-50, half each. Solomon, of course, knew then who the real mother was and he gave the child back to the rightful mother. And the people who saw this were amazed and the word of his wisdom spread. And if you read on in 1 Kings chapter 4, the Bible says that Solomon became known widely because of his wisdom. This chapter says that the people were as numerous as the grains of sand, yet Solomon ruled over them with wisdom. They were content and had plenty to eat and drink. There was peace on all the borders. There were no battles with opposing nations. Therefore the people lived peacefully and safely. The Bible says every family had their own home and garden. That is really significant when you think of the journey that the Israelites had been through. And for the many, many years, no one had a home. They just lived on route from one place to the next to the next, setting up camp and tents and not having a sustainable supply of food. So the fact that they had their own homes and gardens was very significant. The Bible goes on to say Solomon had 4,000 stalls for his chariot horses, had a total of 12,000 horses, that his wisdom exceeded all of the wise men in the east and the wise men of Egypt, that his fame spread throughout the surrounding nations, that he composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. How they know there was 1,005 and didn't round it down to 1,000, I don't know. But 1,005 songs. Solomon could speak with authority about all kinds of plants and animals. Kings would send their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. And then into chapter 5, Solomon decided he wanted to build the temple to honour God. The conditions were right because there was peace with other nations. You can't build a big a temple while you have an army out trying to defend your country. The people were content within. There was a large workforce, sufficient wealth. And even reading through how he organised the building of the temple shows a lot of wisdom and diplomacy. So what was on his headstone? I don't know. But the Bible does tell us in chapter 11, the acts of Solomon, what he did and his wisdom are recorded. So he was known for 
his wisdom. For Solomon, it was all about being wise so that he could honour God and do things well. And I want you to keep contemplating while I'm speaking. What is it for you? What is that big, one, overarching umbrella that goes over all the things that you do? And how do you know if what you're asking from God is right? We know that God's not a cosmic vending machine or some kind of online shopping facility. How do we know that what we ask from God is right? Four very short points. The first is check that it aligns with the word of God, the nature of God and the ways of God. If what we're seeking from him doesn't align with those things, then chances are we're heading down the wrong path. But don't guess. Don't guess what is the word of God or the nature or the ways of God. Be sure. And the way we're sure is to know God. The way we can do that, get stuck into the word of God. I know sometimes I go on about that, but it is so important. And I want to challenge you all. If you're someone who doesn't regularly get into the word of God, do it. How can you confidently pray and ask God for things if you don't know if it's in line with who God is? The second simple point for testing if what you're asked for really matches God is does it advance God's kingdom and not your own? Adam spoke to us two weeks ago about the phrase, your will be done. Not my will, but God, your will be done. Solomon knew that his request for wisdom would advance God's work with his people. It's easy to twist things around at time and say, God, well, if you give me this, then I will do such and such. And I think we have to be careful and not wait. If we feel God has placed something on our heart to extend his kingdom that we don't wait and say, yeah, God, I'll do that when I have this or when this happens. But we seek to make move towards that and watch God provide. The third test, very simply, does it bless others? Is what we're asking of God something that will fill our own pantry, fill our own pockets with money, make the bank account look black instead of red? Or is what we're asking from God something that will actually potentially make us more poor but enrich the lives of others, make them better off? And the fourth point is, does it or will it stand the test of time when it's put to the test? And if we ask something of God and it's granted, it will be tested. For Solomon, it was the two ladies who came to him. But that was just the start of many tests of his wisdom. And he's remembered for his wisdom, not because of who he was, but because of God's faithfulness. We read in Psalm 138 that God's promises are backed by the honour of his name. And you can be sure if God gives you something and promises something, the honour of his name is your guarantee. 
So what can we take from this? Our theme for the year, of course, is Jesus every day. But this message isn't about holding Solomon up as an example. There are aspects of his life that are an example, but it didn't finish that way. Solomon turned his heart from God in later life. If you want to read about that, 1 Kings 11. Despite his wisdom, Solomon fell victim to lust and worldly pleasure and made compromises that meant that God wasn't number one anymore. He wasn't a good caretaker of what God had given him. And I think there's a lesson to be learnt for us all in that. If we ask God for something and he grants that, how do we then go about using that thing, looking after that thing, nurturing that thing? Solomon's wisdom failed. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I don't see any wisdom in that. (laughs) He married women from other nations and they wanted to worship their own gods, not the God of Israel. And I can imagine the nagging that Solomon would have had to endure from those wives who wanted to worship their own gods. He gave in to them and therefore compromised God being the one true God. Those four points I went through a few moments ago. The first one was, does it align with the word of God, the nature of God and the ways of God? In the Ten Commandments, we read the very first one, you shall have no other God but me. So... That didn't even stack up against Solomon's decision to allow his wives to have their God's temples built and to worship those false gods. The very thing that can be a blessing from God can become an avenue for compromise if we seek that gift rather than the person who gave it to us. Going back to Solomon's wisdom in Proverbs one seven. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And in his later years, he became foolish. He didn't follow the wisdom of God. Proverbs 3 verse 7. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Solomon, and perhaps us at times too, guilty as charged. Where perhaps he thought, well, I've pretty much got it all. I've got wealth. I've got smarts. I've got everything I could need. And he was impressed with that and didn't follow God. We can do lots of things for God. But again, I ask you, what is the main thing? Perhaps it's not even what we do. Perhaps it's why we do what we do or how we do what we do. Our attitude, our motivation our reactions, our responses. What would be on your headstone? Someone who was kind and hospitable to all? Someone who was generous with the very little that they owned? Someone who encouraged others to live their best? Someone who constantly grew closer to God? Someone who was a friend of the lonely or spoke words of life to other people? Our task mightn't be as large as leading a nation. We may not become famous. But what we do for God, how we do it, is still significant. If you're a cycling fan and watch the Tour de France, 
you'll know that the main sponsor is the car company Skoda. And their tagline at the moment is brilliant, not famous. And they're promoting their cars as being fantastic cars, though they're not particularly well known. And maybe that's our tagline too, that we can be brilliant in who we are in God, even if we're not famous. So again, the question, what is that thing for you? Is it the focus of your prayers or are your prayers for the necessary and the fun and the urgent? Matthew 3.33, we read that. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he will give you everything you need. Maybe you put that question, what's that big thing in the too hard basket? Perhaps it's too confusing to contemplate, but I want to encourage you to wrestle with it. The alternative, what is it? In Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, we read, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what God wants you to do. And I think if we don't give it time, if we don't really come before God and say, God, what is that main thing? And keep praying for that on a regular basis that we can act thoughtlessly, where we're uh, doing a little here and a little there and a bit of this and a bit of that, but there's nothing overall that gives us that sense of purpose. In 1 Corinthians 9.26, Paul writes, So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I love that expression. That um, we're just boxing at shadows and pretending and not doing the real thing. We're aware, of course, of uh, this new world boxing champion in Brisbane, Jeff Horn. And I'm sure that in his lead up to his fight a few weeks ago that he wasn't just shadow boxing. If we're to become a world champion, a champion for God, we've got to make sure that we're not just shadow boxing. I'll get the band to come up as I just finish. Holly, can we finish with Bless the Lord? Good on you. Don't you love it with Holly leading? So much passion and energy. I love it. Let's have a look at the weekly challenge. Have we got our helpers? Oh, here they come. So the weekly challenge is this. After the service today, take time to reflect on what it is that you really want to count in your life. What do you wish to be remembered for? And can I encourage you to do that? Perhaps you know already. Perhaps there is something that's that umbrella overall, that petrol in the tank, and you know what it is. But if you don't, take time to come before God and think through that. I read through the week that um, we don't learn from experiences, we learn from reflecting on experiences. And you won't learn necessarily just from being here in church this morning, but you'll learn more from reflecting on it. So take time and ask God, what is it? God, if you were to say to me, you can have whatever you want, what would my response be? And really determine that. What is it that you want your life to be remembered for, to be counted for? And the challenge then continues every day, this week in your prayer time, and that's assuming that you do have a prayer time every day. If you don't, maybe there's a challenge there. 
But take time to ask God for this thing, knowing that you can come to him with an expectant heart, just as Micah went to Eliza expecting a feed. Our prayers can be full of other kind of good things, but how often do they pray for the main thing, the one thing, the key thing? If I want my life to be an encouragement to others, how often do I pray for that and not pray for the bits and pieces of the day? If you want your life to be known for one who is generous and giving, how often do you pray for that? If you want your life to be known for someone who grows closer to God, who is a living and breathing testimony of God's goodness, who is a testimony and a witness to God's miraculous healing, how often do you pray for those things in your life? So as we go through this week, let's make sure that we run every step with purpose, that we're not just shadow boxing, but our prayers reflect what we really want from God. Let's pray. God, you're a good God, and I thank you that we can snuggle up next to you and fully expect all the goodness that you have for us. Father, I pray that if anyone feels they're not worthy, that something in the past is holding them back, I pray that the message today, the Bible verses today, will be an encouragement that we can confidently come to your throne and seek all that we have. Father, I pray that if anyone needs forgiveness, needs to repent, needs to turn from things in the past that are blocking their future, that you'll point that out and they can do that as well. God, I pray that you will reveal clearly to us what is that one thing, that main thing. Is it wisdom? Whatever it might be, God, I pray that you will show us and that in our own prayer times we can seek that from you. Father, I pray that collectively we'll be known as a church who loves others, a church who is alive in the hope that we have from you, and a church that makes that known. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We bless your name. Amen.